Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, The Boss Ravioli Queens. We are Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. And we are healthcare workers who decided we are going to spill all the ravioli on the ins and outs of working in healthcare. This isn't your usual podcast. If you came here for health and beauty tips, you're going to be disappointed because we are going to get messy. Every other week, we will feature a different topic that dives into the not-so-talked-about taboo and just plain underbelly of healthcare. We will talk about what it's like being a caregiver outside of work and all the struggles that come with it, just trying to be normal, everyday people. On that note, let's get messy. Warning, this podcast includes profane language, crude humor, mature subjects, and possible talk of bodily fluids. This may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 18. So this episode is called Right to the Source. Um, This is a very exciting episode. We have our first guest ever today. Um, my sister, Lady T. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about MCOs. We have um, mentioned it a little bit before in previous episodes. MCOs, if you don't remember, managed care organizations. Um, the reason why we have Lady T on with us is today, or with us today, is because she is going to be talking all about it since she worked at one for four years. About four and a half. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, yeah, talk about it. Yeah, you can take over. Take the floor. Take over. Okay, so MCOs, as Boss Lady Amy said, managed care organizations. I did work at one for, yeah, four and a half years, which I can't believe. Um, <laughs> it was real. It was a very chaotic time in my life. We'll just say that. Um, I have not, I just want to be clear on that. I have not worked at an MCO for well over a year now. I did get a different job. Um, but I went into it and I really wanted to learn to case manage. And so that was kind of like the thing to like teach me. So I have a degree in sociology which is very close to social work, but it's not social work. So I'm not actually, I always joke, I'm a poser. I was a poser social worker because I, <laughs> I wasn't actually certified, right? but I did all the things. So um, I worked at an MCO um, in our state. It's actually, there's five MCOs in the state of Wisconsin. And the one that I worked at, uh, it was the, it was the largest and I believe it's still the largest. And the coverage area is almost the entire state. Um, with the exception of like four counties. So um, we do long-term care. And so that's what we did. So uh, we facilitated the family care benefit. And family care, have you all, how much have you all talked about it? Maybe not too much. So Probably we yet, too much yet. We know what family care is from our little yeah, yeah, yeah. side mm-hmm. of it, but yeah. from your side, it's different. So family care. So I guess right. This is like a lesson. You guys yeah. always give lessons in this stuff. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, like a little background on like little, what it is. Yeah. So family care. It is a benefit under Medicaid, and so Medicaid is the state insurance, and all states. It looks a little different for every state, but all states have Medicaid. And Medicaid is like a really big umbrella. And then there's lots and lots of different insurance plans, I guess, to simplify it, right? Make it easy. Insurance plans, quote unquote, um, underneath that umbrella of Medicaid. So family care is just one of those insurance plans. Um, And so we did the family care benefit at the MCO. And that's for people who need long-term care. And you all have talked about long-term care, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's really self-explanatory. It's just basically folks that for whatever reason, like it's not a point in time, um, they are going to need long-term care supports for their entire life usually. So um, family care, like I said, Medicaid, and people would come to us and there's like two kind of pieces of eligibility for that particular program. So people had to have one functional eligibility, which means 
you have some sort of diagnosis or you have some sort of need or you have something in the medical documentation, right? That like Mm -hmm. supports that. So functional. And there's certain things that maybe you can or can't do for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Number two is the financial piece. And that's pretty standard, I think, like those two different things for all of the different types of programs under Medicaid, but the, the financial piece. So for family care specifically in our state, you cannot have more than $2,000 in assets. And so that gets, right, that gets really chaotic because a lot of times people will people will come to, uh, to the program and, like, maybe they're married to somebody right. and they have, like, a house or they have a car or a vehicle or whatever. It's really interesting. You have to, like, prove with that documentation that you only have, like, 2000 or less in assets. So they give you, like, nine months to basically disentangle yourself from those things. So if it's like, oh, I'm on the title for a house, but I'm still married, they like redo the paperwork. So the spouse uh, puts that only themselves. Oh, that's right? crazy. Yeah. That's so that's it is. Lot. And yeah. so just like, yeah, like legally, though, those are the things that you have to do. But anyway, um, so that's kind of the really super like high level basic. The types of individuals that family care supports And again, every program is different. There's different waivers. There's different things. But the eligibility, um, there's three target populations that family care serves. And so, and these folks, the queens, they take care of all three of them. So kind of the three. Yeah, we do. Yeah. (laughs) Caregivers, love it. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for what you do, for real. Like the world would not run without you all. But anyway, so those three populations... Are you guys feeling the feel? Yes. Yeah, yes. so sweet. Well, for real, for real. So, okay, so the three populations, and these are, and this is like state languaging. This is like what they talk about in the contract. Um, so number one is, so frail elder, uh, and again, that like people get upset by that term. They're like, frail elder, what do you mean? Um, they're like, I'm not frail, right? Um, <laughs> But, so, it is basically, in the eyes of the state, state language, it is anybody over the age of 65. So, if you basically, like, if you are 65 or older, and you also meet that um, that financial piece, you are eligible for family care, right? Mm. So, so there's that population. Then there is the, the DD, so developmentally disabled. Yeah. That's like, mm-hmm. or cognitively, right? Yeah. And you folks have talked a lot about that. Yep. And again, and I know I've listened to all, obviously I had to do my research, right? I had listened to all your podcasts. <laughs> so I, I know that you all have talked about like how it looks different. Like it looks very different for lots of different people, mm-hmm. but like somebody DD, like examples, like I'm just thinking on my caseload, like maybe people with Down syndrome or different levels of like autism spectrum, things like that. Um, and then the third one is PD or physically disabled. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Some sort of something or other happened to you physically and you are no longer able to do the kind of typical things, right? With mobility. So that's basically, uh, the three. And then there's mental health, which is not like a separate population per se. Um, in my office, in my unit, when I worked at the MCO, there were social workers that, like, they were kind of designated, quote-unquote, as, like, mental health social workers. But, like, mm-hmm. everybody has mental health. Mm-hmm. And it, it really just depends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it just – because it could be anything. Like, it could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be um, schizophrenia. It could be bipolar. And I have yeah. supported people with all of those. Yeah. So I'll stop there. Is there <laughs> anything that the queens feel that I need to clarify or, like, questions you have so far? Um, I don't have any questions. No, no, no. Yeah, you're so. covering pretty much. Yeah. I'm covering a lot. Yeah. I think one of the um, ways that we kind of overlap in our knowledge is like yeah. we know the other end of the yeah. spend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. so we have to do something called spend downs. Yeah, uh-huh. where we spend a, yeah, there's certain and, amount of money, so they don't have too much. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where we all kind of work together on that like, like the case team mm, don't go over two thousand dollars <laughs> right and also the caregivers mm-hmm. you know that's yeah. something that we all had to do very often in management yeah so let's okay wait let me back up just a little bit more so okay like i said company i worked for biggest uh mco in the state so every family care member i should like i should maybe i should have lived with this but every family care member um comes to the program through the adrc 
And so ADRC, Aging Disability Resource Center, every community should have one. That's like Mm -hmm. part of the ADA, like American with Disabilities Act, right? So people come and they go there and they literally get the resources that they need. And then they do different screens and they say like, this is what you're eligible for. So every person that comes through family care, they get referred through the ADRC. They say you're eligible. Um, they show the scorecards for like the different, uh, MCOs that are contracted in that area. So not all five MCOs in our particular state are contracted in every County. So like in the County that I was serving, it was, um, it was like they had a choice between two, there was two different MCOs. And then they like literally show the scorecards and they're like, these are the testimonials and this is what this MCO does versus this one. And then they pick and then they get referred and then they, and that's how people would come to us. And so um, it's a volunteer program. So family care is totally somebody's choice. They don't have to be on it. They can be on it as long or as little as they want. Um, So that's, yeah, that's how you get somebody. And then for uh, the social work piece, so every family care member had a social worker, which is what I did. Uh, My title officially was community resource coordinator, um, but essentially traditional social work functions. So every family care member has a social worker and a nurse. And the nurses are called health and wellness coordinators or HWCs. So, but to simplify that, right? Like social worker versus nurse, every family care member gets one. It's just part of the package deal. And then the other really big piece of it. So we'll talk more about residential because that's what you all do. Mm -hmm. Um, But family care benefit package is huge. Like it's massive. And it could be, it could seriously, it it could range from like residential placement, right? So like, The family care, like, you get the case managers, and they, like, help coordinate your needs and your appointment. They set services up. They refer you to community things. And also, like, again, very super simplified. Like, we do all those other things, but at the end of the day, there's, like, that insurance portion as well. Like, they would cover things, right? Like, actually fund and pay for those services. So they get them in place. They pay for them. So it could be residential. It could be somebody needs transportation. It could be somebody needs mental health counseling. It could be somebody um, wants to live in their own home. They don't want to go to a placement. Um, and they need, like, caregivers to come in. There's agencies that do that. So that was my job, is to set all of those different things up. And where it got really, like, busy and tricky is number one there's a lot of rules because we are tied like family care is medicaid and that's like state insurance tied to the legislature and so like we had a contract um with the department of health services so it's like very high level and you all your stuff is like very dependent on state and like it's all state funding and contracts there's a lot of moving parts Everything you do is tied to tons and tons of paperwork. And that was part of the reason I got a little bit burnt out. But also going back to just that idea, like every member is different. Because remember, there's those three target populations, right? And so every member has different needs. They have different desires. And so you, every time you look at putting a service in place, it has to be really like specific to their need. It is not one size fits all. Um, and you have to do this like line of questioning paperwork. We had to do this thing called a RAD, which stands for resource allocation decision. And so basically it was like paperwork that you did, but you had to like drill down to the core issue of why we were putting services in place in the first place. And so, and they always hammered like responsible stewards of state dollars. Right. And Mm -hmm. so like, we always had to be super responsible with that stuff. So like, and, and we had every social worker, the caseload size approximately at my office was about, I think the target number was like 38, but it usually ended up being more like 40 to 45. And I know there were, yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) And there were times that like when I was actually covering and things like that, maybe somebody had left, I was covering somebody else's caseload. There was actually times I covered in like counties, like far and far away because they didn't have people. Well, at least that makes sense on why it was, why it would be, um, feels like everything took forever on our end. Yeah. Because you're doing all these different people and then trying to jump through all these hoops to get it like, everything they need or whatever. And we're over here like, when is it going to happen? It's like a month later. But like, we're like, we told it forever ago. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's why it gets like, it gets tricky, right? Like care Mm. gets really, really tricky because... Every person has their team, like they have their care team. If they're in a placement, they have their caregivers, right? Somebody might um, 
go to mental health counseling and then they have a counselor that's part of their team. Uh, somebody may go to day services if we don't mm, know what day services is. Yeah, yeah like folks common. that are kind of part of that DD, like cognitively impaired, um, they go to this thing called day services, which mm. is really awesome. Like it's a place for those folks to go. I know, but you still have to find one in you have to the find area one. that they're living yep. too, which yep. and also like, takes more time. Mm-hmm. It, it does. And like that was the thing is like working within... So, like, the company that I worked for, we had, like, a a whole department of people that would, like, they were, like, the contracting department, Mm -hmm. essentially, Mm -hmm. and they would go out and, like, make the new contracts with the new, um, like, providers. Um, But, like, so for our entire state of, like, all the different services we offered, I think there was, like, over, like, 5,000 different providers we worked with. That's a lot of contracts. That's a lot of, like things to wade through right Mm -hmm. and so you just like you know you get to learn your own area and like the resources that are available but like sometimes we would have to place somebody like out of county or something or somebody was moving and then the care team would even though they were moving to a different county that care team would follow them so then you had to like look at whatever the resources were like possible residential Mm -hmm. placements or day services or whatever they needed like hours and hours away but you always had to work within that network, right? You had to find contracted providers within our network to be able right. to cover. So that's part of the reason some of the stuff would take like a really, really long time. Yeah, because then you have to wait for them to respond too. Yeah, to... yeah. So like I guess kind of that that tie-in of like where, how we worked. So, so Boss Lady Amy and I, we actually... Um, had shared a couple of cases we together. Did. Yeah. So why don't you share your perspective on some of that stuff? I mean, <laughs> I I guess what what do you want to know? I anything, right? Yeah, just, like, what was it like working? You know? Yeah, like well, um, when you were dealing with it, just, just like what did it look from like your side of caregiving? Um, well, for one, it was really weird to be working with my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it was so weird. No, (laughs) it wasn't you or anything. It was just interesting because, like, you know, this was very different. We had to be professional with each other. So, like, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't be our normal goofy selves or anything when we had meetings with uh, care teams or, well, she was part of the care team (laughs) or guardians Guardians, or the residents. Um, and... It was kind of funny that her and I ended up sharing clients that both had extremely finicky guardians. They did. Mm. And those, yeah, the two, the two members, and oh, by the way, family care, we call them members. Like some um, companies say it's like customers or clients or whatever. Like we would call them members. Like, I don't know, you're part of a cool club or something. Right. But anyway, um, but yeah, so our, our members that we had, the two, the two cases, um, those are my only two people that lived at this particular like residential company. So they lived in the homes uh, that you all worked in, right? Mm-hmm. And those guardians, and so it was always like this really delicate balance. So like from my perspective to, and like, okay, I'll just like be real. And you know this, like this is not a surprise, yeah. but like the guardians would get pissed off, right? Mm-hmm. Like the guardians would get like, well, I don't know what's going on over at that house and like caregiver <laughs> turnover and go fix it, right? I like, know. you know, would, she would call me up sometimes after work and she'd be like, so I had a phone call with so-and-so today. <laughs> Tell me what the hell is going on over there so I yeah. can fix this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, what do you mean? Nothing's happening. <laughs> well, yeah, and then I get an angry phone call about like, well, you know, and the one um, of our guy that passed away, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but that particular guardian, like we all, like we always tried to spin it strength based. We're like, oh, you're such a good advocate for your son. Like you're just, you know, like good job checking in, like letting me know what's. You're such a good advocate, right? So we would we would always try to do that, but also she was a bit hard nosed at time, right? Like, oh yes. I mean, like she would get mad sometimes about well, you guys you put put the wrong shirt on him today, right? Uh, yeah, it's something. And then I would get phone calls about that. So simple. And I would uh, I would get phone calls about that. I remember when staff accidentally shaved his mustache. Oh yeah, oh. she was she was pretty upset about that. That yeah. was yeah, that was bad. But, like, that's the thing is, like, so kind of to try to, like, paint this picture. It's, like, so I have this member on my caseload, right? And Mm -hmm. it's my job to, like, health and safety needs, right? And, like, make sure because then we'd be paying for that placement at the facility. 
And so it's my job just, you know, to make sure sure things are going good. And like every, um, I think it was like every three months we had to go do like an in-person face-to-face visit, just see how things are going down at the house, that kind of thing. We would meet every six months um, for care plan reviews. So just like mm-hmm. goals, right? And you all have mm-hmm. participated in those, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just we make some care plans. You go and... over the services. You go over the, you know, what their ISPs, goals are. BSPs, yeah, mm-hmm. all of those things. Change, any, change anything that needs to be changed. That's right. Or... And not like because it's long-term care. Like it's, you know, a lot of times that stuff doesn't change. But like that's all under contract. Like you have, we had to review that and stuff like that. So um, oh my gosh. So yeah. So we would meet every six months for these care plan reviews and, um, I don't know, just make sure, right? Like everyone's kind of on the, on the same page. Mm-hmm. So, but I like with the way that just like family care kind of is set up and because there's so many people in our caseload, like, it's not like I could go to the house every day. Right. right. I'm sure the guardian wanted me to, oh, mm-hmm. but it's for not sure. like every I could day. go to the house every day. Right. But then like, that's the thing is like, so like where that kind of working together piece comes in is that you are all the staff at the house and like maybe mm-hmm. boss lady Amy is the person I'm talking to, right? Like the contact. Right. So I'm not there all the time, but you're my like eyes and ears because you're literally taking care of them. But my company is paying for the placement. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you also got to make the guardian happy. So it's like, it's just like this really tricky <clears throat> balance, right? Yeah. Like, and it you re- see different really things because really you're there day to day. And then I get reports of, I know you all talked on one of your episodes about like, oh, a fall or some sort of behavioral. Mm-hmm. You got to notify the, the teams. And then when I would get that, it's like, oh, crap. Like, what happened now? Right. Yeah. Then I have to follow up. Maybe if mm-hmm. it's severe, like, I have to do an incident report. That comes back to all that paperwork piece. But that's how we work together, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Do you have... So, one of the things that we did um, was called bi-weekly updates. Yeah. I'm sure you remember those. I do. Gross. I... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> To be honest with you, that made more work for me because every time I, like, got one of those emails, like, sure, it was nice to know how they were doing. But then I had to document it all. And then, like, because of, like, the family care contract, like, there's so many, there's ridiculously strict rules on, like, if you put in a service or you document something in case notes, you are, like, required by contract to follow back up on that thing. So if it's like, oh, so-and-so had a really nice day bowling and I document that, I have to check back in like a week later and be like, so is everything still going good with the bowling? Like, <laughs> and put them That's like, why I would get those emails. Mm-hmm. Is that minimal health and safety need? No. So like, I know the guardians really appreciate that, but that secretly always kind of pissed me off because I was like, because mm-hmm. we, that's another piece is that we were required to have a, a minimum of 120 hours of billable time, like every month. So that literally meant like, I know you all talked about documentation. Like, that was my life when document, I worked document, for family document. care. But it was, like, document. literally every phone happen. call I made. Or, like, if I'm doing case management over emails, and trust me, there was a lot of emails with our so with many. our cases. And every time you had to document that. But, like, and so the time you took, like, actually taking the call or doing the thing or whatever you were doing, um, if you were traveling, seeing somebody in person, you count your travel time and then the actual time documentation. But like you had to do that for every like member interaction. And so then that would add up. And like throughout the month, the the standard was you had to get about 120 hours of like billable time, i.e. like client contact every month. And that burnt me out. And like I know it's necessary, like documentation mm. so important. But oh my God, like I got so burnt on like literally... That is Charting a, every little thing I did. It is a lot. It is a lot. lot. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. What what else do you want to like share? Well, like, okay, so I will say, well, we know the one guardian of the one guy, mm-hmm. but then the other situation, uh, because he like he had a lot of falls. Mm-hmm. And that became a really contentious thing. <clears throat> because I'd get the call from the Guardian, like, be like, oh, like, well, so-and-so had a fall over the weekend, and then I get a report like that. It's my job. I have to go check in. Mm-hmm. And, like, if it's a really bad one, then I may have to go in person. Um, and then I'm getting the pissed off call from the guardian and then I'm calling you guys be like, what the hell happened? Like, oh, they're not. You know, they I, treat, they treat you like it's your fault. It happened though. Like it's kind of, sort of like me. I don't know. Or like, it's more like, I don't know. Guardians I have for us, like it's our fault. Like we weren't doing oh, enough. Yeah. There's yeah. only so much we can yeah. do. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't force your loved one to like. 
not fall by like basically locking them in a chair or right, something. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And, and if you want that to happen, then get a seatbelt and make sure it's in the care plan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, they can't do it themselves. Then it's a restrictive measure. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but like a lot of times, so I think a lot of the claims that I got that made it really hard was like, well, they're not following the ISP, right? Like. Mm. Or whatever. Or, like, it would be something in our care plan, but it's somehow it's not documented in the ISP. And, like, so you have to, like, all get everybody on the same page and get the documentation to match. But that's what I got a lot of just, like, falls and, right. like, you know, they're not following what they're supposed and to be And I've noticed usually, like, then you'll ask about, like, oh, what can we do to, like, better the fall kind of thing? Yeah. Send us an email or whatever. Yeah. And then most of the time we respond with, like, we can't really do anything else. <laughs> He's already got a walker. He's already got like grippy socks or and like traction. And that's already walking with yeah, them. Like, he's got a favorite, gate belt on, and we're like, I don't know what else thing. we can do. Right, right, right. My favorite response was something that Jasmine taught me when I was manager at one of the houses, and it was, "Well, we have everything we need. Like, we can't do anything else. So just tell them." If you have any suggestions, we're very open. (laughs) (laughs) They love that. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's really true. But that, and I know you you all address that too, is like if there's somebody with a cognitive impairment or like somebody that maybe has dementia or something, like all you can remind them or you can try to redirect them. Right. But at the end of the day, like where it got really tricky because because the guardians would say, well, why wasn't somebody with that person the whole time? And then it comes back to the MCO and it's like, well, and so every family care member, let's back up a little bit. Every family care member, part of that functional eligibility to make sure they still have that same level of need is they have to do what's called a long-term care functional screen yep. every year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they yep. literally have a screener that comes out at minimum once a year or with a change of condition. So maybe something happened that worsened their health um, and then they have a higher level of need. But kind of going back to that of like, well, why isn't there somebody with them all the time? Well, their functional screen and their level of need does not indicate that they need to have a one-to-one staffing pattern. And if they don't have a one-to-one staffing pattern and that's not their level of need and it's documented and that's also in the care plan, then the staff did nothing wrong. The staff, like, right? Like, they're not going to go sit with them every moment of the day because they're not legally required to. And that's Mm -hmm. how they um, determine, like, what stuff would cost also. Yes, yes. We need um, to talk about that. If they need more care for something, they have to pay more for those services. So, yeah. yeah. So let's revisit this, like, residential thing. So, like, a big part of my job, obviously not all of my job because, again, members had lots of different varying levels of need and they all have different, like, wishes and, you know, for what they wanted – Um, But one big part of my job was finding residential, searching for residential. And I always told people, especially like if it wasn't just like, oh, we're moving homes, like they're actually going into a residential facility for the first time. um, I would always say like, it's like the lottery. It's like winning the lottery because it is so hard to find the right fit. Because there's these different type. You all talked about that. Mm, there's different, the different levels. Types, yeah. That's something that people really don't like know. Like they call mm. a nursing home is like a blanket statement for like any type of home. Mm. Like that's what a lot of people think it is. But like you all work, your homes are all adult family homes, right? Um, no, so yeah. Okay, okay. So all of those, right? But like basically, I'm trying to like break this down super simply. But like when I was searching for residential, basically we would have five different levels of homes. And like that was based on um, like level of restrictiveness. So typically like a five is going to be, that's like the top level of restrictiveness. And that's going to be like a a nursing home or we call them a SNF, a skilled nursing facility. And people don't typically live in SNFs like long term. That's more like... (laughs) So that's what we would call that's it. That's really ironic Funny. because most nursing homes smell so bad. <laughs> they you do. do not, in fact, want to sniff it. Yeah. No, you don't want to sniff it. You no. can't, like, get rid of it either. No. no. I don't know what it is. It's, like, baked in the walls. Yeah. But, like, a lot of times, sniffs are, like, skilled nur- nursing facilities. They are, like, say somebody had a fall, mm. right? Maybe they broke a hip and they are not able to return home yet. They need that, like, rehabilitation, all of that. 
skilled nursing facilities are super duper expensive. Like, and I yes. cannot, and I cannot freaking tell you how many people were just like, well, why can't they just stay at the nursing home? And okay, guess what? Sorry, spoiler alert. When you're on state fucking insurance, like that's not going to happen. Right. Like, like that is almost that I can almost guarantee you like almost a hundred percent of the time that is never, ever, ever going to be approved. Mm-hmm. Like we cannot continue. Like I know the thing was if somebody had a full rehabilitation or like if they enrolled in family care while being in a, a nursing home, you, uh, we could pay for like 90 days stay, right? Like that, and that was kind of the bare minimum. And, but then you have to be searching for placement that whole time. Right. But so going back to those, like these different categories, so like every different category based on the level of restrictiveness. So again, that sniff is like the top five highest level of restriction. Um, and what they offer and the, like what, a, what they are licensed for at the state, like that produces a, Basically, it was called a rate tool, right? So mm-hmm. every facility yeah. had a different rate based on those factors. And then the other thing is you throw in what the member's level of need is. So remember, I talked about that functional screen. So like, it's a really complicated thing. There's like a whole algorithm, but basically like the screener comes in, they do the screen, they have all these different areas that they score on. So like somebody's level of mobility, uh, are they able to, like, they do these different things because, like, activities of daily living, right? Can they cook food for themselves? Can they bathe themselves? Can they walk around by themselves? All these different things. You do the score, produces this this thing, like, this score, call, and, like, we call it acuity, but essentially it's your score. It's your level of need. So you plug that in with the rate tool, and based on a person's level of need, it came up with the rate band, right? Okay. And so, like, say we want to go to an adult family home. Typically, I think your company's homes are usually, like, four or five. Pretty high level of, like, restrictiveness. And our goal at the MCO, if somebody needed placement, the whole thing was that we always wanted to support independence. Like, as much independence as possible. What's up? Everything good? Yeah, it's just my... I'm reminding her to drink oh, water. Oh, you got to drink water. <laughs> so, like, you have to, okay, so you have to, like, you get that rate band, like, you offer the tool, like, and we could never offer more than what the tool was. Like, you plug numbers in, and it came up. And so then I'd be like, so say we're searching for placement, and I'm like, okay, I have this member. Do you have, op-? number one, they have to have openings. Okay, that doesn't happen quite often. Like, a lot of times people are on a waiting list or yeah. something. Yeah, right. So say you have that opening and I say, okay, great. And I'm like, here's the care plan. You hand them the care plan. You're like, read through their needs, right? Like, and then they say, the provider comes back and says, yeah, we could probably support them. Or maybe we can't support them. So then like, if they can't support them, maybe they have a really high level of need and the home is not licensed for that or they don't have staff for that, then like it's dead in the water, right? Then Mm -hmm. you got to go somewhere else. Then, so say the magic thing happens, they read through the care plan. They're like, yeah, that looks great. I'll assess them. Cool. Then the provider comes out and does an assessment and says, yeah, we can totally support this person or no, we can't. Then the next part is if they say, yes, great, we can support them. Then I offer them the rate tool based on all those pieces, their level of need, uh, the type of facility that it is. And say it's like, this is super theoretical, but say it's like a hundred bucks a day. And I'm like, can you support this person for a hundred bucks a day? And they say, "Mm, yes. And I'm like, yes, that's great. And then you decide when you're going to do the move-in, right? And then there you go. That's successful. A lot of times, like a lot of times. I'm guessing you have to like go back to the um, whoever's going to be. Because do they have to, Would you would be paying all of it if they were on the, the state insurance, correct? Uh, we like the, All the living. Uh, so the members would pay, we would pay the daily rate. Okay. So that's like the, say the $100 or whatever. Um, and then the members would pay room and board. But oh, then, okay. That's what I was wondering about. Yeah. The members would pay because like members and, and like with the 2000 thing, like think about like people who are maybe like frail elder situation, right? Like, um, they're retired and they're getting fixed income. Okay. So like based on what they're getting. So if somebody's getting like a thousand bucks a month or something and they're going into residential, like you, there's this whole other process that they would do, but like they would figure out how much their room and board is going to be. So that's their portion. That's like the rent essentially. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, but then the, the MCO does pay, like the MCO is like footing the bill, like for the placement at these, at these places. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then going back to the, okay, sh- okay. Yes. I could support awesome. But like a lot of times it was, no, I'm sorry. I, we can't support that person 
or we don't support for that rate, right? And then they'd say, well, can you go higher? And then it's like, well, I'm using state insurance, so no. And so that's how it got so tricky. That's why I said it was like residential placement, finding the right fit was like winning the lottery because Mm -hmm. so many, so often providers would either decline because we can't support that person's needs or we just don't agree to the rate. And like providers can do that, that's okay. Like they have businesses to run, we get that. But then that meant me as the social worker, like. I might be calling like a hundred places, right? right? And then the other tricky thing is that a lot of times people are like, well, I want local. I want I want somebody to be local. I want my mom to be up the road from me. And it's like, well, guess what? None of the placements, <laughs> none of the providers have beds open in this area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we would, and because it's like a state insurance thing, you say like, okay, we'll, we'll note your preference. That's great. But we are going to have to look out and we might have to place somewhere like three hours away if that's where the bed opens up, mm-hmm. right? So that's why it just got so tricky (laughs) with residential placement and how it got really, really hard. Well, and then sometimes once you find that placement, you end up moving them again because they do... When a bed opens up in the area that they yeah. originally wanted, yep. then you have to move them. Yep. Because yep. that's usually what they want. Yeah. <laughs> I think it that's... makes a lot more sense now why the care teams would always push back so hard when we submitted a 30 I know, and you talked about that, and uh, you guys were all like, it's the MCO's problem. And I'm like, no! <laughs> and that's when I would come in, and I'm like, fucking damage control. I'm like, what can we do? <laughs> Let's fix it. Let's do it together. And it's and it's even worse sometimes because <coughs> occasionally if we can no longer like do the right support for somebody or they just don't fit into the house for some reason. If they end up going to the hospital for any reason, homes can like deny them to come back. To come back. They can I So then they sit then they sit in the hospital until a bed opens until up. a bed opens up somewhere and then they have to place them. Can I <laughs> tell a story about that? Yeah. Like real Yes. Oh, are we good on time? Yeah. Okay. We're good. So I have this was this one really stuck with me and it was really, really hard. I know I probably told you about this. Um, but anyway, so I had this this guy on my caseload and he was a very young guy and like he was part of the children's waiver world and so he actually came on our program when he was you can come on like 17 and a half. Oh, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. And I just want to clarify that too. Maybe I didn't say that, but family care is for adults. It's a it's an adult insurance program for those who are eligible. So you can come on as early as 17 and a half if you qualify. And it could be as old as however. Like I think the oldest lady on my case was like 102. But anyway, yeah. so any adult, right? So lots of different needs, lots of different things going on. But so I had this guy, he came on my caseload, he was a pre-enroll for me, and he was pretty complicated, like with his needs and stuff. And we finally got around to like when he finally turned 18, we like, we did it. We got all the services in place. It was great. He was living at home and we thought it was an awesome situation because unfortunately you all know this, not always do people have supportive families right? and they don't, unfortunately they don't want to support them at home or they don't have capacity or maybe they work full time and they just can't do it. Right. So then they go to homes, they go to placements. Right. So this person was at home living with his grandmother and a bunch of other family members And we thought it was awesome. And like grandma was like, she was like a little wily at times. She had a little bit of an edge, but we were like, no, she's right. She's just a good advocate for her person. Um, But then unfortunately it ended up coming out later that he, the guy, he was being like severely like physically, emotionally, like mentally, sexually abused, like Mm -hmm. terrible. And there was multiple family members that were kind of in the equation, but grandma definitely had like beat him up like a number of times and we ended up finding out that um that she had been like taking all of his like money as well right and so he was like oh that happens so much it's so So goddamn terrible it's so it's so terrible so anyway so we like worked with uh we worked with APS adult protective services and that was like that was like an immediate, like this guy needs, like they literally went and they like removed him from the home on like, we like all this shit. We found everything out on like a Friday, like afternoon, literally at like three or four o'clock. How did wow. you guys find out? About. About. About the stuff abuse and stuff. So yeah. So it came to us. APS actually contacted us like in the County, the adult protective services. And because there was, so there was, 
remember the person lived at home with like a lot of family members. So there was like some other random person in the home, like a caregiver or somebody, like somebody external coming into the home for another family member. And they saw grandma like just whack this kid. Like just like straight out. Like, yeah. And so that person, they reported that. And because he um, had just turned 18 and he looked really young, it actually went to CPS, Child Protective Services. And then they ended up like they realized, oh, no, this kid just turned 18. He's technically has to be served by Adult Protective Services. So they rerouted it. And then as they kind of went in, right, because even if a referral is like screened out. So I don't maybe I need to explain that. But like if you make a call where mandated reporters, you see some sort of abuse happening you are required by your state and your role like to report it. And then it goes to either whatever agency, child protective or adult protective. And then from there, like your job is just to report. You don't decide to do something with it. You just give it to the agency. Then they make a determination if it needs to be screened in. So like further investigated or screened out, like thank you for letting us know, but we're not going to do anything further with it at this time. Right. So they ended up, um, finding out that like this referral was just one of like many like reports Mm. that they ended up finding out that like there was something like 20 plus like child protective service referrals and like nothing had ever been done with any of them but they were all just like logged in the computer right so then APS goes well I can't freaking like let that go she's like we need to do something with it right so then they followed up they contacted us And they started sharing, like, what all the other referrals had said, like, just financial abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse and just all these things. And she was like, well, I can't in good conscience, like, let this kid, like, stay here, right? Yeah. So, anyway, so they, like, again, we found it out on, like, a Friday. And then they were like, well, we can't really do anything over the weekend. But on Monday, like, we went into the workday on Monday, like, dealing with that situation. And basically, Adult Protective Services went at, like, 3 o'clock that day and, like, physically removed that person from the home. Wow. And so, and what we had to do, so our role as the care team is we had to find emergency placement. Mm -hmm. And so, like, and remember, like, it takes forever to find placement sometimes, but, like, Mm -hmm. in an emergency situation, like, there's nothing you can do. He had to be removed. And so anyway, so like Which the sucks because then you have to do it multiple times. Yeah, it's usually yeah, like, and like you'll go. They can only be at this place for so long, and then they yeah. have to go somewhere else. Yeah. And then you finally found a placement, and then they have to move again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we were gonna do a thirty day. The home that we had originally signed up with, like, had agreed to do a thirty day, and like we did all those pieces. We're like, here's the care plan. Here's the situation. Like, can you agree to the rate? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. All of that. Whatever. That was okay. So they removed him. They brought him to this this home, um, local home. And that was the emergency placement. Well, so that was on a Monday. And then, so flash forward the rest of the week, get to the following (laughs) Friday. He's a kid. His diagnoses were pretty severe cognitively. And so he was like not, he was nonverbal. Well, he could make noises, but like he couldn't articulate words, right? Yeah. Um, So there was that piece. And he would just like hit and like he was kind of. He could be behavioral at times, right? But like, oh, that's well, number one. Blame him after that. Well, advice. yeah, because right. that's what he saw. That's what his family was doing to him. Um, and then number two, he didn't have words. He didn't know how to like to do that, right? right? And also, he had been removed from his home, so just all around, it was a bad situation. Right. But going back to the whole like situation of where they get removed sometimes. So they called. So he was like whacking residents. He was like doing all kinds of things on a Friday night, and they ended up like calling like 911 and so they ended up like shoving him off to the hospital like he got picked up he had to go to the hospital basically they like assessed him and they like stabilized him i think they maybe gave him some some meds or something to calm him down and what you yeah <laughs> possibly <laughs> held all yep right but what Jasmine and the Queen said, sometimes they won't accept them back. That's exactly what mm-hmm. happened. And they were like, we can't do this. We can't support him. Blah, 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 blah. They were pissed off. Apparently, like, the head administrator was, like, screaming at our on-call, like, social worker. And she was like, we cannot take this person back. Mm-hmm. So they had no other choice. And, like, there was... So I was off the clock. This was, like, a, the Friday evening. So our company had, like, always somebody on-call. So the on-call person... They were literally at like eight o'clock at night. We're like calling crisis beds all around the state. Nobody had an opening. Nobody. And it was just an awful situation because he didn't even have like a mental health need for it. It was just because the other placement didn't want to take him back. Okay, so he did not get accepted back and he ended up going to this very large, well-known mental institute. And it was just not 
appropriate. It was not an appropriate place for him to be. And it was very scary. And when somebody is on an MCO, so like that was a Friday. He spent the weekend there. And then we came back the following Monday and they were like, guess what? Your guy is in this place. And when they're on an MCO, like if they, if they have been like, uh, uh, cleared, mm. like psychologically cleared and like the doctors at the place are saying, nope, there's no reason for this person to be here. Right. They're not a harm to themselves or anyone else. Right. No reason. When they're on an MCO, the MCO basically has to work their ass off to find placement and then and get them out as soon as possible. And then it starts that whole process over again of like sending out the care plan and explaining the situation and like, you know, looking up the rate tool and offering tools to providers. And it's just, it's just, ugh. I'm and, tired endless. just like talking about it. Yeah, so endless. we've been on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have all worked with someone that the same thing happened to them. It's so sad. Um, It's hard, but I mean, at the same time, like it's, it's exactly what our, house that we worked at needed like so you had to say i'm sorry we can't accept this person mm-hmm. oh, i did not have to but uh, one of the but administrators but that's what happened yeah. did yeah. um but it was more of a mutual thing yeah anyway because she was her own guardian and also once she got to the hospital she was making false abuse claims which oh were my not gosh. true so the hospital refused to send her back and yeah. it was kind of like a Good. Well, we're not taking her back so, oh. sort of thing. So, like... Mm-hmm. But, right? Like, it just illustrates this, like, super delicate balance of, like, yeah. your roles and, like, the care team's roles. And, like, if there is, there is a guardian in place, like, it's a lot... Like, literally my job, I, I just said, like, I'm not even a case manager. Like, I'm just, like, a professional firefighter. Like, literally, <laughs> literally putting out fires all day long. Like, it's yeah. just... It's finding that balance and, like, yeah. making sure everybody feels heard and and at the end of the day like our job was to make sure the members health and safety needs were being met and this is a little dark but we would say number okay this is what made a good day in that job it was like one is the members health and safety needs being met yes number two did anybody die today no okay great it's a good fucking day (laughs) (laughs) and i know that's dark i'm sorry but like that is how it was we already talked about dark humor oh yeah i just wanted to add though like so on your side of things, you guys are supposed to advocate for your people. Yeah. But on our side, we have to advocate, advocate for everyone. So yeah. like the thing you said about him like hitting other residents yeah. and stuff, like they have to look at that and be like, okay, they do. well he's hitting other people. Yeah, especially the ones that like can't, can't right. defend yeah. themselves <laughs> either. So and I know like, that's, it's, why. that's why it gets so hard because it's all these different things that you have to balance. And like, yes, I was pissed off that they wouldn't take him back, but... Also, yeah, I understood. And mm. it, it's just, it was just so unfortunate that un- sometimes that's just how this stuff goes, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. one of the things that we face a lot with care teams yeah. is them coming into the homes, just looking around and like judging us and oh. being very rude and mm, looking through yeah. all kinds of things they shouldn't be looking Super through. Rude. So, Super like, rude. what's, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I, I witnessed that because there was that one case I was going to take over, right? Do you remember that? Yes, I And do. I didn't take over. I ended up not taking over, but it was a team from, like, a, a different part of the state. And I felt like that particular social worker, like, again, it's that, oh, you're doing a great job. You're advocating. Like, you're, you're really looking out for your person. But at the same token, like, personally, I don't, like... It takes a village. It takes a village to care for folks, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think that's okay. That's never okay to, like, treat the caregivers like shit, right? Like, you just, I don't know. I personally try to assume, and, like, we tried to do this in my in my unit at work, but sometimes they're really hard days, right? But, like, mm-hmm. assuming the best intent. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the caregivers are, are doing, you have to trust that they're doing the right things. Right. But, like, often the guardians are just like, no, they're not doing the right things. So then that's when I would have to follow up and, like, make yeah. sure and re-educate, blah, 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 blah. But, no, that's that's not okay, right? And I, I know, too, like... Like, we do have to get eyes in. Like, we were required to go get, like, like actually go do faith. And if there was something, like, bad or whatever going on or, like, a report of something, we would have to go into the home and, like, check things out. Right? But, like, also, like you said before, it's some it's other people's homes, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, that can be really triggering, I think. Yeah. So, it's just this really 
It's just a hard... It's a very delicate balance. It's very delicate. Yes. So, yeah. And I'm sorry that that has happened to all of you, but... I'm going through it right now. Oh, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Well, and also, like, another layer of it, too, and that's something that, like, before I left, um, the MCO that I worked for, they were starting to talk a a lot about more, but just, like, the caregiver shortage, like, the caregiver Mm -hmm. crisis. And, like, part of, I think, one of the reasons, at least in my two cases with the company... Um, it was because there was lots of caregiver turnover, right? Yeah. Like it's hard work. Yeah, because like, it's like basically you're like retelling every. You're retelling over things, yeah, all the time, and like again. the guardians would just get really, really frustrated with that. And it's like th- that was one of those moments where it's like I can I can listen and like I can validate your concerns because it does suck. But at the same token, it's like we can't really control what the company is doing, and like right. you can't control other people right. that are leaving or staying or whatever. So it's like you just have to kind of like weather through it together, yeah. you know, yeah. and that and that's hard because it is it is very difficult work caregiving and it like is. not everybody's cut out for it, you know, so. And that's like part of the reason we started it as well, started the podcast. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> like we want to we want everybody else to feel as validated as we do doing yeah. this, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. now now you have a voice. Yeah, absolutely. So it takes a village. <laughs> It, it really does. does. Do you have any closing thoughts? Oh my gosh, I've been talking breath? for so long. Um, I don't know if I have closing. I'm just so happy that you guys are doing this. Like seriously, it's amazing that you're doing this. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. Um, I would just throw out there, like just before you come down on your care team or before you come down on your caregivers, just think about the big picture. Like just, I know that we're only giving high level overview stuff for people, but just think about the big picture and how many moving parts are at play. Well, thank you for doing this with us. Oh my us. gosh, yeah, I had so much fun. And it's nice to see like a diff- different perspective yeah. from a different like job in healthcare. Yeah, so. absolutely. I didn't know that you guys had to do incident reports off of our incident reports. Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, I thought yeah. you could just like upload the file and done. No. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's something I didn't even talk about. Like, I know we have to get going, but like uh, on top of the basic like care plans every six months and case notes and things like that. Depending on a person's situation, like we, if there is, like there was certain criteria that would, like if somebody, like a, a member harmed somebody else or something like that, we had to do an incident report. There were certain criteria, mm. but that was like a whole separate form. Oh, and God. then we would also have to do, in some cases, if the situation warranted it, we had to do like risk mitigation worksheets. Mm-hmm. Like, so somebody is, I don't know, a good example is like, uh, I'm a diabetic individual and I have been educated by my doctor. I probably shouldn't drink like 12 Mountain Dews a day, but guess what? I'm still <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, no, it's, it's just a reminder us all, all of a person. Uh, yeah, all of one person we've all worked with. Uh, gotcha. But then it's like, well, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to do it anyway. I've had that conversation with her. So then <laughs> we the all care, have. The care, we, teams, yeah, the care teams are required also to do like, okay, we sign this risk. Like, you know the risk of what you're doing. You acknowledge that you know what could happen if you keep doing it. You sign it away. That's your education. And that's so state doesn't come down on you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were so many situations where you might have to do some sort of extra paperwork or something based on that. And again, the the business of taking care of people, and especially when they're like tied to like a state funding source, it's very tricky. It's a lot of hoops, a lot of red tape. Um, so I, again, parting thoughts, just... Keep that in mind. <laughs> it is not, and I would say this. I was like, 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 who needs to do like extreme adventure sports when you can just like go to work for the government? I yawned. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's 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 tricky business. So thank your caregivers, thank your care teams. <laughs> well, I think we covered all that we're going to cover in this episode. Well, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Boss Ravioli Queens podcast with your hosts, Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. Thank you so much for spilling your ravioli with us. Don't worry, we'll serve you more next time. Until next time, go wash your ass.